Wednesday nights uh, have, have been incredibly exciting for me, uh, as starting at the end of the at the beginning of this year, because we have been going systematically through the New Testament, taking book by book. And so, what we've decided to do is to tackle uh, the prison epistles. Okay, now in the Bible, there are sixty-six books in the Bible, uh, but they're really uh, kind of broken up into sections. Uh, the most obvious two sections is the Old Testament and the New Testament. But in the New Testament, um, a guy by the name of Paul wrote more than half of the New Testament. But he was in prison for, I think, a grand total of four years. Two times he was in there for two years. And uh, while he was in prison, he wrote four books. And we call them the Pauline Epistles uh, because his name was Paul. Uh, and so Paul, not that his name was Pauline, it was a guy, not a girl, but we just call him the Pauline epistles, uh, I'm sorry, the Pauline prison epistles, uh, because four of them was uh, written while he was in prison. Uh, those uh, prison epistles are Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Now we've already gone through Ephesians, we've already gone through um, Ephesians. We've already gone through Philippians. We've already gone through Ephesians. Now we're going through uh, Colossians. All right. So this is chapter one. And uh, so I want to encourage you to come back next week. We're going to tackle chapter two. And then Philemon is a very cool book because technically it's not a book. Uh, he's writing a letter to a slave owner um, trying to ask the slave owner to have mercy on the slave, Philemon, uh, for running away from him. And there are some theologians that believe that Philemon stole something from his slave master, uh, but he wants to come back. He's sorry. He wants to come back. And so Paul is saying, hey, take it easy on him. Give him some mercy. Give him some grace. And uh, so it's a great, great letter. I can't wait to unpack that. But let's uh, unpack chapter 1 of Colossians. And uh, basically what I'm going to do tonight is uh, I'm going to just kind of tackle four, uh, actually probably five, but four in particular points, okay? Um, and, and what Paul is, is really encouraging us to do is to pray a certain way. Uh, to make sure that when we pray, we, we hit four particular areas. Um, oftentimes when I pray, I just kind of just cut loose. Whatever's on my mind is what I pray about. Um, but what Paul says here is there's four, and, I, and I'm calling them paramount prayers. Because there are four very important prayers that need not to ever be neglected. And so every time we pray, uh, we need to include these four prayers. Uh, they're very simple, they're very easy to remember, and the very first one is to pray for love, to pray that love is in our heart. Watch this, Colossians chapter 1, verse 8, reads like this, he has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. And so what we recognize there is that the Holy Spirit gives 
love. Now, I didn't give the, the tech booth a heads up on this, but uh, I'm, so they're not going to have it on the screen. But let me just re- backtrack a little bit to verse 7. Um, uh, let me see here. Um, now, do I want to go back to verse 6? You know what? Let me go all the way back to verse 3. Is that okay? Let's just go back to verse 3. It reads like this. We always pray for you. And we give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is really cool. For we have heard, this was the verse I was looking for. We have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and your love for all God's people. Are you catching that? We've heard about it. It's like me saying, hey, hey, George, I've heard about how much you believe in God and I've heard how much you love people. What a great reputation to have. You know, it's like, hey, Nathan, I've heard how much you love people. What a reputation. And so this whole church, all of these people, Paul's writing them a letter while he's in prison. He's saying, we've heard how much you believe in God. We've heard how much you love people. What an awesome reputation. So he continues to write. In in verse 5 it says, Which come from your confident hope of what God has reserved for you in heaven. See, God has things reserved for you in heaven. So everybody that's in heaven right now, if you have a grandmother, a grandfather, an aunt, an uncle, a father, a brother, a sister that's in heaven right now. They're, they're allowed to explore and do some awesome things, but there are certain things that they're not allowed to touch or look at because it's been reserved for you. It's got your name on it. Uh, you ever walk into a restaurant and, you're, and you're, you, you look at a table and it's got a reserved sign on that table. Uh, the restaurant is expecting somebody to be there at a certain time, and that table you and I can't have, nobody else can have, because it's reserved for that person. And what the scripture is saying here is that there's, because of your faith, not because of your, not because of your perfection, because you believe in Jesus, because you believe that he died for you, just that alone has reserved things for you in heaven that nobody can touch or look at or be a part of. I don't know what it is, but he's got things reserved for us. Isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? God recognizes that it is hard for you and I to constantly keep our faith up when we can't see him. Like he sees that that's difficult. Like, it's not like he's looking at us going, come on, hello, this is, he knows that it's difficult. And so just by believing in him, reserves, everybody say reserves, Reserves. say it again, reserves, reserves Reserves honor for us in heaven. So let me keep on reading. Jump now to to, uh, verse 6. Actually, reserves for you in heaven. You have this expectation. You have had this expectation ever since you first heard the truth of the good news. Ever since you heard the gospel. You have had this expectation of what heaven could be like. What God could be like. What Jesus could be like. You've had this expectation. Isn't that cool? Verse 6. This same good news 
that came to you is going out all over the world. It is bearing fruit everywhere by changing lives, just as it has changed your lives from the day you first heard and understood the truth about God's wonderful grace. I'm sorry I don't have this on the screens. Uh, I, didn't, I didn't know I was going to read this much. You learned about the good news from this guy that I can't pronounce his name, your beloved co-worker. He is Christ's faithful servant, and he is helping us on your behalf. Now, here's the, now get ready to put that verse 8 back up on the screen because I'm there now. He has told us about the love for others that the Holy Spirit has given you. So this love that has swelled these people up so much that it has become their reputation came from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gave them that ability to love. Gave it to them. They can't boast about it. I love people more than you love people. They can't brag about it because it was given to them. If, if I give uh, Terry this bottle of water, he can't be like, look what I did. He didn't earn it. I gave it to him. And so what Paul is talking about here is the importance of love. So incredibly important. Now, there's an irony when it comes to love. Are you guys ready for the irony of love? Most of us, and I'm included in this, you know, I don't know if it happened whenever um, I was a kid or, or what, but at some point in the journey, I withheld my love from anybody until I first was confident that I was receiving love from them and felt safe in the love that they're giving me, then and only then do I give my love back. Is there anyone like me? You don't have to admit it if you don't want to, but if you'd like to make me feel less awkward, just raise your hand. Thank you so much. So you hold back. Love is, love is there's an irony there. Oftentimes we hold back our love until we first receive the love, we feel confident in it, and then we'll say, okay, now I'm going to give it to you. The irony is this. We love, we're loved because we love. Just let that kind of marinate a little bit. We, love, we are loved because we love. And so it's kind of like this game that I feel like is from the enemy. See, on this side of the table, I'm not going to give my love to this person until I feel their love come to me. But we're all kind of wired up that way. This person is not going to give me their love until they feel it come from me. So we're both kind of holding back. When in actuality, the people that we love in this world, we love them because they're giving us love. Most people in this room don't love people who hate you. Do you see what I'm saying here? So if Satan 
can play that game with us. That we will give love once we receive it. And everybody's playing that game. Then nobody's getting it. And we end up loving people that love us. But nobody wants to go first. That's why I don't miss being single. You know what I mean? It's like, I'll let you know when I like you, when I am 100% sure you like me. There's some people that have a vertebrae made of steel. They can go into a bar or a restaurant, see somebody they like, and just walk up to them. That's not me. That has never been me. No, I want to send a third party. Praise God for third parties, right? Send a third party over there and find out whether or not they like me. But that third party has got to have a brain. They can't go over there and let them know that I like them. So they got to figure this thing out. Anyone know what I'm talking about? But the, 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 we're loved because we love. And so Paul says, number one, pray to love. And that's such a huge deal. It's such a huge deal. I know it doesn't sound like a prayer that, that is at the top of our list, but that's why we're reading it. God, help me to love you. Give me, watch this, this sounds really wild. Give me love to give to you. Help me learn to love. See, here's another thing about love. Oftentimes, we only accept love that we think we deserve. In other words, let's take us and God, for example. If we feel like we have lived a, a sinful life, and a preacher or somebody comes up to you and says, God loves you because you have faith in him, not because you're all of a sudden going to be perfect. That's oftentimes too much to swallow because we don't feel like we deserve it. And so it is a huge deal to come to God and say, help me love you. Help me love people. And here's the big deal. The reason why we got to pray for this is it is we've got this magnet in us that pulls us towards self-centeredness. Does that make sense? It's, it's like this whole world is really about me if you haven't figured it out yet. You know, I talked about this a few weeks ago. Anytime any of us hear a problem, um, it's a human epidemic to think about how does this problem affect me? And in nanoseconds, our brain goes, how does this affect me? And then we determine what the consequences are. And then we determine if we're going to be mad or upset, determining how does it affect me. Once we've determined how this affects me, now we can say, okay, let's talk about you. <laughs> does that make So we've got to just pray this love. So number two, let's dive into number two. Let's go to the very next verse. This is the next thing he encourages us to pray about. We also pray that you will be strengthened. Everybody say strengthened. With all his glorious power. So you will have all the endurance and patience you need. 
So number two is we're praying. I, I got it mixed up, guys. Uh, it should have said, uh, I put power for number three, and it should have been power for number two. So ignore the screen. We're praying that you would have power. So we got to pray for power. Paul is saying this. I am praying that you will have God's glorious power. So we need to pray for that power. So number one, we're saying, dear God, help me to learn how to love. Number two, give me your power. Why? And what? For what? To endure. Now that is fascinating because if you're taking notes in a real Bible, circle, circle the word power and the other one, I'm sorry, circle endurance and patience. Now I know we all have different versions of the Bible. I don't know what word is inside of your Bible, but it says this, As, uh, we also pray that you will be strengthened with all his glorious power so you will have all the endurance and patience. Does anyone here, just raise your hand, you, you don't have endurance and patience in your Bible. you got different words other than endurance and patience. Raise your hand real high. Uh, uh, what, what words do you have? Steadfast and patience. Okay, does anyone else have any other words? Patience and long-suffering. All right, does anyone else have a version of the Bible that has different words? words in there. Um, I love how the Word of God has so many different versions because I believe that God uh, strategically makes sure that the right version for our mind and our makeup lands in our hands. But let's just, because um, I'm looking at endurance and patience, let's recognize those two words. Paul is saying, I want you to ask for power because you're going to need it in order to have endurance. Now watch this. I didn't, I didn't give this definition to the guys on the screen, and I regret that. Um, but I want to share with you uh, the definition of endurance. Do you guys have that? Do you have it? Uh, I think I got it underneath Roman numeral three. Sorry, Brian. Everything, watch this, everything that's under Roman numeral three is supposed to be underneath Roman numeral two. <laughs> Everything that's underneath Roman numeral 2 is supposed to be underneath Roman numeral 3. So if you can't keep up with me, don't worry about it. Um, we'll just do the best we can. Listen to this definition of endurance. The fact or power of enduring an interesting process or situation without giving way. Endurance is the ability to go through situations without giving way, without quitting, without... Watch this. Here, here's the next one. Patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So what is he saying here? You're going to need endurance... You're going to need patience. How is he saying? There are things that you are going to want and need, but they're not going to come when you want them to come. That's what he's trying to say. If you, if you just say it another way, 
You're going to want to quit. You're going you're gonna to be frustrated and angry. Unless God gives you his glorious power. And that will help you not to get angry. Because things are not happening fast enough for you. Do you see what I'm saying? He's saying you're going to need it in order to have endurance. Well, what's endurance mean? Well, that, those are the seasons where you want to quit. Those are the seasons where you get mad. You're going to need it for the seasons uh, when you need patience. In other words, there's going to be a lot of times where God is not moving fast enough for you. You're going to need his strength. I appreciate Paul using those words because he's kind of giving us a heads up. He's saying, look, you're going to go through these seasons. And when you go through them, you're going to need God's power. And so when we pray, the first thing we do is we say, look, I, I need your love. I need, I need your love. Second thing we say is, I, I need your power. So pray for love. Pray for power. And then uh, let's dive into this one. Let's go to um, number nine. Actually, you know what, Brian? All my notes were right. I just skipped it now that I'm in front of people. <laughs> you would think that this is my first rodeo. All right. So let's go back to, back to number two. All right. Verse nine. So we have not stopped praying for you since we first heard about you. We ask God to give you complete knowledge of his will and give you spiritual wisdom and understanding. So pray for insight. Um, my wife and I, uh, I, 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 I teeter-tottered on whether or not I was going to share this or not, but uh, I think it, it, it'll be beneficial for you, so I will. Um, we have, um, pro if we don't have the best marriage you've ever seen in your life, we're in the top three. I'm, I'm just telling you. Um, but we work at it. We work at it. Uh, there's a therapist that we go to on a semi-regular basis. And we just talk about, like, we went to go talk to her because her dad is dying. And so, um, not, I shouldn't say that. Her dad has cancer. Um, and so I sat down and I said, what, what kind of husband do I need to be right now? And, and she said, how do I communicate what I'm feeling? Because I've never felt these feelings before. So I want to be able to communicate them properly and effectively to my husband. And so we do this on a regular basis because... I feel like the years will teach what the days never will. So why practice on each other? You know what I mean? Like, there's people that are just smart. So we go on a regular basis. And, and she said something so brilliant. Uh, she said, she, she gave us these five things. I want to share them with you. And if you're not taking notes, start taking notes right now. Um, these were five rules of communication that she gave us. And rule number one was to practice curiosity. Now, 
this really spoke to me because I have a tendency to make assumptions. Oh, oh, so I know what you meant by that, Allie. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, actually, that's not what she meant. <laughs> that's not what she meant at all. And so, uh, to practice curiosity, to say, what did you mean by that? It's a whole different ballgame. And to accept the answer. See, that's big. <laughs> because once I have it in my head, I know what you meant by that. No, that is not what I meant by that. This is what I meant. No, you're lying. No, I'm not lying. And then here comes the spiral. To practice curiosity. Second thing she said was, take responsibility for the impact of any words. So, own it. To, hey, I know I said that. Own it. Apologize for it. Don't defend it. This is important. If you're taking notes, write this down. Don't defend it, but clarify it. Now, that's a, a razor's edge right there. Because clarifying can come across as defending. That fast. I don't have time to go into that. Number three, she said, identify your level of emotional intensity on a scale from one to ten. So let's take Allie, for instance. Right now, she's crying about twice a day. Now, she'd get mad at me if I mentioned that. So don't tell her I told you that. And, <laughs> and don't go up to her and go, I'm so you Just be smart, okay? Um, How's that for good pastoring? Be smart. Um, so she's struggling with all this. So when, whenever her and I are talking, um, because she's right now emotionally at an eight, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, she's at an eight right now. So I got to recognize my wife is at a constant eight. She needs to recognize she's at a constant eight. So right now, our whole world is all, we're all at an eight now. And so I might be at a two, but I got to realize I'm talking to somebody who's at an eight. And so the therapist told us, look, anytime you get to a five, this is the next point, point number four, you call a timeout on yourself. And she looked at me, and she said, you're not allowed to call a timeout for someone else. And I was like, why are you looking at me? <laughs> As if I was going to be the one to look at Allie and go, you're over a five. Timeout. <laughs> Boy, that'd be brazen, wouldn't it? So she goes, anytime one of you are over a five, you've you got to call a timeout on yourself. Now, here's the thing. When you call a timeout on yourself, there's rules that go along with that timeout. Because if I call a timeout, I'm like, look, Allie, I'm at a five right now. And I know me, you know me. When I get to an eight, I'll, I'm liable to burn this house down. <laughs> I'll burn the whole house down. I don't care. So I'm at a five right now, and I'm climbing fast. So I need to take a timeout right here. Now, here's the thing. Anytime you call a timeout on yourself, you have to tell them when we're going to reconvene. This conversation is important to me. I need to call a timeout. Let's talk about this 
tonight after we put the kids to bed. You got to tell the person when you're going to reconvene. You can't just time out and like pretend like it never happened and wait for Jesus to come back. <laughs> so that was part of the rule. And so um, right now, because we've never experienced anyone passing away in our family before, I'm, and I'm surprised myself on how I feel about it because it's my father-in-law. And if you would have told me like a year ago, hey, your father-in-law is going to have stage four cancer next year, I would have went, oh, that's a bummer. But now that I'm really in it, I'm far more emotional than I ever realized I would be. Like, I'm taking this, like, like really rough. Like, this is, not, this is not cool. So, calling a timeout is incredible. Now, why am I bringing this up? Because the point is, Paul is saying, pray for insight. Now, where does insight come from? Insight comes from a lot of different areas. Um, it, it comes from people talking to you, reading from God. Uh, Dr. Phil said, gave me a piece of insight one time. <laughs> Not personally, it was on TV. Um, he was talking to someone else, and, and they were stating their belief system, and, and their life was in shambles, and Dr. Phil looked at him and said, and so how is that working for you? And I was like, that's a brilliant question to ask yourself. How is that working for you? So when you got this really strong belief system, just ask yourself, how is that working for you? Maybe you need to change your belief system. <laughs> it's not working that good, you know? Um, and so to pray for insight. But if you're going to pray for insight, you have to be open for other people's insight. My wife and I seek it out. I don't really wait for smart people to come into my life. I go find smart people. Thank you, Isaiah. I appreciate you saying that. I, I, went, I, I was um, at a race recently, and I met somebody that is incredibly successful. And I told him, hey, I know we're just meeting. I know you don't know me, and I don't know you. We just met like five minutes ago. But I'm going to be calling you next week to go to lunch with you. And he's looking at me like, oh, my gosh, you're the kind of people that are on cops. And I'm like, yeah, I'm a troll, <laughs> okay? <laughs> I just wait under the bridge and wait for you to come by, and I jump on you. <laughs> and, and, and so today I show up, and guess what? I've, I've got some questions to ask. You know, you don't show up to somebody that you want to glean from with no questions. I glean. And so my wife and I, we, we look for opportunities to glean. And so Paul is saying to pray for insight, to pray for love, to pray for wisdom. Those are the three things that we've talked about so far. Pray for insight, pray for love, pray, uh, what was the other one? For power. Let's go into the fourth one real quick. Um, but before I do that, I really want to build you. How am I doing on time? I'm doing good on time. There's a, a chunk of scriptures that I want to read. It's, it's, uh, there's three verses here, but they're thick. They're robust. Um, let me read them to you. It's verse 15, 16, and 17, and then I'll be closing shortly after that. Christ is the invisible image of... Uh, I'm sorry. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Now, some of your Bibles say he is the reflection of God. 
He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. Let this build your faith. For through him, through Jesus, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. That is awesome. Did you hear that? He made the things we can see. He made the things we can't see. That's awesome. That means there's a lot of things that exist that he made that we can't see. That's awesome. Such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers. He made these things. He made those positions. And the authorities in the unseen world. He made them. Everything was created through him and for him. Verse 17. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Did you get that? He holds all creation together. He holds it. So when we pray, we pray for power to be able to endure, to be patient, because that isn't natural. It isn't natural to go through deep waters. You know what deep waters are? Deep waters is when you're working hard to keep your head up. Okay, you're going through deep waters. When we go through deep waters, it is not natural to be patient. It is not natural to have endurance while you're in deep waters. It's not natural. So he's saying, pray for the power to have endurance and patience. Pray for insight, opportunities to have insight. Pray for love because that's not natural. You got to pray for it. Here's the last and final thing that he encourages us to pray for. Turn to verse 21. No, actually, verse 19. 19, chapter 1. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. In other words, everything was... Everybody, everybody who's ever lived, everybody who is ever going to live, we're all moving away from God. Everybody was moving away from God. And so because of Jesus dying on the cross, it reconciled. Jesus did it. Jesus brought us back to God. Our sins pushed us away from God. But we didn't come back to God. God came for us. That's why the Bible says, I loved you before you loved me. He came to us. So watch this. And through God... And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth 
by means of Christ's blood on the cross. So it was Christ's blood that made everything okay. So you and I, and all of our sins, and everybody who's ever lived on the whole world, all of a sudden it's okay because of Jesus' blood. Verse 21. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your own by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, He has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Can you, thank you for saying wow and hallelujah, whoever you were. Are you guys catching this? All the sins that you and I have done, we stand before Jesus without one single fault as if we've done nothing. Has anyone here ever tried to get out of a traffic ticket? Raise your hand. Come on. You tried to get out of it. Raise your hand. Let me see. You're trying to get out. You you went to court. Let me see. You're going to go to court. To get out of the ticket. And you're practicing in your head how you're going to get out of it. And then you come up there and imagine the judge goes, I don't see a ticket here. It's like completely clean. You're like, no. I, I was on Kirkendall and this guy was slow, so I went around. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. (laughs) That's what's happening. Jeez, it's so amazing. Watch this. This I just got to unpack this. Let me find it because it's not on my notes. Verse 23. Can you just find Colossians chapter 1 verse 23? Just throw it up there. I'm going to wait for you. I'm sorry I'm throwing this at you, Brian. I'm working you hard. But, anytime there's a but there, that means it's connected to the previous thought. So let me connect them now. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence and you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you received when you heard the good news. So, what's he saying here? He's saying, you and I stand before God without fault because Jesus died on the cross. 
don't let yourself stray from that truth. Don't warp it in your head and say, I'm so imperfect that I am no longer going to be accepted. And he doesn't hear my prayers and he's upset with me and he's mad at me. He's saying, don't leave that truth. Stay in that truth. And keep on saying, thank you for your blood. Now, there's two kinds of guilt. Everybody go like this. There's guilty feeling A, and there's guilty feeling B. Guilty feeling A, guilty feeling B. Guilty feeling A is good. Guilty feeling B is bad. Let me read it to you. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10. For the kind of sorrow, guilty feeling, the kind of sorrow God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for that kind of sorrow. Don't feel bad for that kind of guilt. But, here's that but word again. Worldly sorrow. There, now we're talking about a different kind of guilt. Lacks repentance and results in spiritual death. What are we saying here? Guilty feeling A. It's a godly sorrow. It's a godly guilty feeling. It makes you say, I have not been living for you. I'm really, really sorry. Please forgive me. Guilty feeling B which is a worldly sorrow, worldly guilt, makes you feel horrible about yourself. You feel like the spit of the earth and you kind of walk away from God. I don't deserve it. I'm a big fake. I'm not going to be one of those people that show up to church when I know I'm being bad and pretend like I'm not. This is bad guilt. It makes you feel like spit, like a loser, like a sinner. And the more you think about yourself, the lower you feel about yourself. That guilt, that feeling, those thoughts, it's all from hell. The thoughts that say, I need to get my life right. I love you. I'm sorry. That's the good guilt. The good sorrow that leads to repentance. So when we pray, we pray four things. The last one is peace. Just have peace. It's not by what I've done. It's by what he's done. Do you know that if Jesus does not, if God does not forgive us and continue to forgive us whenever we ask for, whenever we repent, if he doesn't, that means everything that Jesus did on the cross was for nothing. It was for nothing. So the forgiveness is there so long as we ask for it.